In the words of Rockwell, I always feel like somebody's watching me. If you feel the same way, it's not paranoia. It's the reality that privacy has become less and less important to many. So how do we create a more private future? Today, we're joined by Ann Fover-Willis, COO of Oasis Lab, to have some really important discussions around privacy. She's an early contributor to the Oasis Network, the first privacy-enabled blockchain platform for open finance and a responsible data economy. And remember, just because you hear our voices doesn't mean we're in the room with you. Or are we? May as well go along for the ride on episode number 541 of the Bad Crypto Podcast. Five, four, three, two, one, two, ignition. Who's bad? Of course, you know, the voice that stood out from that was Michael Jackson's. Like, is this a Michael Jackson song? No, it's Rockwell with Michael Jackson. Really? Michael Jackson was in that one. Well, that, that's him singing the the hee hee. Yeah. <laughs> the hee hee. Yeah. And the okay. ooh. <laughs> Welcome, folks, to the the. Uh, what was that again? The chickahoo, chickahoo, chicka what, chickahoo, chicka what, brown brown. He made all those funny noises. He did. Ham on, ham on whole wheat. All right. It's the Bad Crypto Podcast show for the crypto curious and the crypto serious. Something like ten million downloads of the show. Somewhere, somebody in the world is listening to it. In fact, that somebody is you. So congratulations, spotlights on you. I told you we were watching you. We knew mm-hmm. exactly what you were doing oh, right now. Yeah, you're the 10,147,219th person to listen. Thank you. Right, wait, let Jimmy. me get my little clicker on my, uh, my belt here. <laughs> we're really happy that you tuned in today, Jimmy. I'm going to enjoy this show as well. want to give a shout out to our friends at AnyTask. It's a freelance marketplace and the only place that allows freelancers to sell digital tasks and earn ETN, that's electronium, alleviating the need for a bank account and no fees for sellers. If you're an artist, illustrator, designer, animator, or you're looking to hire somebody who is, check it out, badco.in forward slash any task is where you can find the thing that you seek. Badco.in, check it, check it, check it out. What is it, badco.in, ETN? What is it, badco.in, what? Uh, Any task. Any task, there you go. Because you know what you can do there? I'm assuming you can get any task done. <laughs> There's a lot of them you can get done there. I, I don't know, though. I do think it is misnomer because it's most tasks. Because I went there and I was like, I need my oil change. And they're like, uh, we don't do that task. But I was like, you're called any task. And they're like, uh, most tasks. I don't so, even think you can go to, you know, Upwork or Elance or any of those other places and get your oil changed. Well, you got to go to TaskRabbit. Yeah. <laughs> So it should be most tasks.com. <sighs> Sir Lord. forward slash most tasks. All right, let's get to the interview. One of the greatest motivating factors for the crypto community is learning 
privacy and owning our own data. Of course, Brittany Kaiser, who's a friend of the show, has joined us before as part of the Own Your Data Foundation. However, there are now numerous projects popping up that are living out this dream and this vision of owning your own data. And we're particularly fascinated with the project we're welcoming today called Oasis Labs. We've got the COO and Favre Willis with us, and we're going to talk all about NFTs and DeFi and privacy. So Anne, welcome to Bad Crypto. Yeah, really glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And you know, you're courageous. You're treading where angels fear to tread here on the show because you might encounter a fart joke or two. And you know, it's <laughs> let's see if I can handle it. We'll see. Okay. <laughs> let's get started with a little bit about your background. Uh, kind of give us the short version of where you've come from and how you ended up mm -hmm. in this sector. Yeah. Um, so I actually started my career in politics. Um, I worked first in foreign policy uh, for Madeleine Albright, former Secretary of State, um, and worked a lot on helping companies deal with international issues and doing business uh, in emerging markets in China and India. And I think that gave me a real appreciation for a lot of the the friction we see in global markets today, as well as I think a really international focus on how to think about growth of companies and movements and um, communities. Um, I then, uh, I went to Apple after going to business school and was a product manager there um, for the iPhone. Worked a lot on, on you know, hardware technology as well as a lot on data privacy. Transitioned into the blockchain space in 2018 um, at Oasis Labs. Um, and there are a couple reasons that I was interested in coming to Oasis. Um, one is, uh, so Oasis is a, uh, a company that's built a network called the Oasis Network. It's a proof of stake blockchain network, but its real focus is that it adds confidentiality and privacy at the smart contract layer. And so that allows things like data ownership, data privacy, and compute and analytics of that data to be run in a secure and private way. And so coming from Apple, I built this really strong um, core belief in ensuring that we can build products where user data and data privacy are, are at the core, um, that they're designed, that users have control of their data, that they have, um, uh, it's not being sold. Like I, I fundamentally believe in all of that. And so going to a company that was building and adding new technologies to do that was really helpful. I think the other thing that really drove me to Oasis um, and to the blockchain space was really the idea of then who owns your data. I think Apple has done a tremendous job of, um, of building and I think genuinely authentically believe in protecting uh, user data and maintaining a level of data privacy, but you still have to believe that Apple is a good company and will act in your best interest. And so moving into a space um, where that's not true, where you can, you can retain your ownership of your data, you can work on a network and you're not worried about having to rely on the altruism of a, of a company um, if your incentives are misaligned in the future was really powerful for me. Um, so that that's some of the, the way that brought me to Oasis. And um, uh, yeah, I've been here. I've been at Oasis for about three years since the launch of the company and our network, the network that we contribute to the Oasis network launched on mainnet in November. Very interesting. You said something that made me go, huh? You know, it's like you have to believe that Apple has our best interest in heart. I don't know that I believe that any Silicon Valley big tech company at this point has our best interest at heart. 
It doesn't feel like that anymore. It doesn't, it doesn't feel congruent with my being to, to say that big tech cares what I think anymore. It feels like they care about what big politics cares about and not the people anymore. Yeah. I, you know, I think it's interesting. I think it, it's a question of sort of like to what extent, like I think all companies have, um, you know, financial incentives, right? They're for profit. So the goal is to build to build things that you want to use or will buy. Um, I will say like, I fundamentally believe that Apple is pretty unique in it's um, striving for excellence in products. Um, yeah, but, were, you, you were know, you there during the Steve Jobs era or during the Tim? No, after, yeah, I was there from 2014 to 2018. So uh, after, yeah. Because I can say, um, yeah, I think when Steve Jobs was there, yeah, I mean, he had, he, for the most part, he had the, the best interest at heart. <clears throat> it's just been interesting watching big tech over these last five years, but I think you're in a right yeah, state there because you're in a place where people can own their own data now, right? So that's-, that's Yeah, cool. I'd say more generally too, like when you look at other big tech companies, I do think there's just a, there's an incongruence or misalignment of incentives. So to me, it all comes down to that, right? It's like, it's less of a question of like, is someone making the right decision for you or not? Like no one will ever do that a hundred percent. That's why you being in control is really valuable. But there is a question of are your incentives aligned to those of a business or a company? And I don't know. I mean, I think like when you look at how ad-based companies make money, they aren't, right? Like by inherently, you are the product. And so the decisions that those types of big big tech companies make will never be for the user first. Um, they might They might be because they're trying to get you to use the product more. But that's always sort of a secondary goal to selling more ads or creating a platform that companies can buy and purchase on. And so even in a world where um, like those those incentives might be aligned, sometimes they never are fully. Um, and so, yeah, I think a lot of that ex- exposure and experience to the to big tech uh, made it so critical for me to also like it made it so clear to me why it's so important that we we own more aspects of our data and our um our crypto, our our currency, um, in the future of the internet, um, I think that'll be incredibly important. I want to talk forward. about the current social tech giants and, and owning your data. You know, because they really had to. You can now download, you know, your data from yeah. Facebook and from Twitter and from LinkedIn. They have to make it available. A lot of people don't know that you could do that in your settings. Is grab mm-hmm. your own data. Uh, do you feel like the model that they have? is sustainable in the long run or do you feel like blockchain and these privacy efforts are going to ultimately either put these tech giants under because people won't tolerate them anymore or will they be forced to change how they manage business i think eventually i think web the web3 world and crypto companies will take over um because i i don't think the model or big tech works in the long run. But if I'm being practical about it, I think we're still a long way off. So I think while people care about things like ownership and custody of their data, I mean, we're still in the minority of people who are really aware um, and really believe in that. And I also think in the minority of people who are willing to put up with the friction that that takes. So right now, like for for a common consumer, there's really no alternative to some of these, some of the solutions on the internet, um, either they, you know, paying a significant amount of money for a subscription 
isn't sustainable if that's required for every uh, tool you use online. And um, there, just from a technology experience perspective, uh, it requires a lot of education to use a lot of crypto-based uh, products. And so I think ultimately, I mean, this is not a new statement, right? But like the amount of, of usability and the user experience that um, that exists will really need to improve quite significantly for us to to really see it us you know see the Web three I think take off in a way that um, we're be I think beginning to see the the early phase of, phases of now. And actually, I think that's one of the things that NFT um, and the sort of like the craze of NFTs in the last few months has really started to do, which is it's one I think. Um, it's it's brought a lot of mass interest into the industry, but two, it's brought in a lot of talent and a lot of people who are, I think, otherwise wouldn't have flocked to. They're not coming to it for the technology; they're really coming to it for the value um, that it provides. And as and when and when they do that, they're bringing their sensibilities with them. They're bringing their design sensibilities, their artistic sensibilities. I would say, like m- many of them, have experience building SaaS products, and so you're seeing, I think, that usability really come to fruition in products like. I mean, OpenSea is so much easier to use than I think the NFT marketplaces of 2017. So I think it's just a great example of the of what we'll continue to see in the future. Now you touched base on on some some interesting points there around NFTs, and so what Oasis is doing some interesting stuff. What around DeFi back and data back yeah. tokens and NFTs? Like you guys are doing some really interesting stuff over there, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I think we really see ourselves as uh, building out what I would say is a V2 or a next generation of NFTs, which is right now, when you think about NFTs, um, I mean, they're cool. I, I own a number of like, I, I would like to own uh, more uh, board yacht, board ape yacht club uh, NFTs, but they're getting more expensive. But I've got, you know, I, I own a few, it's really fun, but like the price and the value is really tied totally to hype, right? And so there's some amount of market that is created, I think, as demand goes up and there's a scarcity of them, but um, it's somewhat volatile. Um, what we think is the, the next phase and sort of like a grander utility as well is how you make NFTs move from a place of sort of a static image that has value to something much more dynamic. And so what we've been working on are really uh, creating what I would call uh, an NFT of data. Um, so I'll give you an example of how that works in the real world. So uh, let's say I'm, an, I'm a musician, I'm a working musician. What I'm looking for is some funding now essentially to, to help pay for my business going forward. I think I'll do better over time. Essentially with, with our program, what you can do and with our technology is you could have someone actually buy um, a portion of your future royalties. So you would essentially upload uh, data from Spotify and someone could buy a token that represents that data, um, represents how many people are listening. And then as your listens go up, as your royalties go up, they're actually getting some uh, fractional, you know, additional amount that's proportional to that growth. And so that token is a non-fungible token that represents that value, um, but it's really tied back to some, uh, you know, proof of data or usage. And so that's that's a kind of and with what Band Royalty is doing, uh, they've been on this show before, BandRoyalty.com. And we're actually yeah. you know, advisors with them where people are cool. buying these beautiful NFTs and staking them. And they have a pool of um, performance and mechanical rights for hmm. certain songs, Justin Timberlake songs, Rihanna songs. And so by staking, people are earning. So what you're talking about that's coming is 
is yeah. is happening. Um, and That's so cool. you're spot on. Yeah, it's yeah, we're working with a company called Music Fund, which is doing something similar. But that's cool. I, I didn't know about Ben Royalty. I'll have to check them out. It's a great use case, and it, go, and it goes beyond music, right? Because when we're talking about owning digital rights, we're also talking about, uh, you know, perhaps TV shows, film rights, uh, of course, you know, art we've already encountered in NFTs. Well, let's go beyond the, um, the, the obvious to the real long-term practical applications for NFTs, DeFi, and your personal data? Where do you see us going in terms of functional NFTs that are just going to be a ubiquitous part of our, you know, everyday life? Yeah, totally. I mean, really, to me, this is, this is the future of how data will be shared and analyzed. So there's, there's sort of, I think art has been this great entry, and we just laid out a number of examples of that. But really, I think this can be used for any type of system that requires a lot of data. Um, you know, we spent years talking about sort of the, the promise of like, like in the 2000s, it was like the big data is coming. But there have been all these restrictions, I think, on normal uh, uh, on Web2, which is, you know, we talked about a couple of them, but who owns it? There's a lot of security issues around it. And then third is there's a lot of regulation around how this how data is siloed around custody. Um, it's hard to share, particularly sensitive data, right? Um, for, for good reason. Um, so things like your financial history and transaction data, healthcare data, all very, we, we want to make sure it's protected, but also very then hard to get sort of uh, the benefits of data at scale. And so really the future to me of this, of data NFTs is enabling a world where that's true. So the longer term case here is something like um, I participate in a pharmaceutical study and I'm given a token that represents my, my data that I provided. Um, and then every time that data, you know, first I can, I can set some type of controls. Like I can give um, that token to a pharmaceutical company and allow them to have some sort of timed, you know, use of that. They, they, I can set a rule. They use the token, the token represents a week of running analysis on my data, something like that. But then also what it can do is actually then map and actually track how much my data is used. So as a company or as a institution, a university uses that data, I can get some record of how frequently it's used and some value back for doing it. And so really, if you think about it in that way, what it does is it actually turns the economic model of the internet today on its head, um, removing these big companies from being the, uh, the sort of accruer of value and instead giving that value back to individuals um, directly. And so to me, that's really the future of this data NFT. And you know, more broadly, I think the future of um, the internet as a whole. I think you can see that um, in DeFi as well. Like if you think about credit scoring and, and lending uh, specifically, Right now, it's, you know, lending on, on blockchain requires huge collateral. Um, and so if you imagine a world where you're relying on more sensitive data to create some sort of credit uh, uh, profile for someone, you might allow for more freely flowing uh, lending that's backed more by someone's credit profile than um, by, you know, and true credit profile rather than these credit scores that exist today, uh, rather than simply relying on a lot of collateralized lending up front. And that would allow for just an incredibly broader free flow of money, as well as you can think about it sort of in similar to like a free flow of data 
in the first example. So that, that's really the, the future of the world that, that I see. So how do you see that new credit score, the true credit score? Like what is what do you think that what do you think that looks like in the future? Yeah. I mean, I think you're seeing a lot of companies start to do this, right? Which is they're pulling in data that that goes beyond um, like usage of credit and and it goes into things like um, you know, more data around your financial history, what your income is, what other sorts of income you might bring in your educational background, rent, things that have typically not been a part of the data score. And I think a big fear now, of course, is that a lot of that data is just really sensitive. And we've seen huge data breaches, um, you know, take place. That and, and so it's very scary to think about giving more and more of that data to a company. So again, like the nice thing about doing this on a blockchain network um, that has privacy as well, is there'd be some system where you can actually upload that data give permission to another company to run analysis on it, all while you retain ownership of, of that information yourself. You have you hold and retain custody of it. Um, so I think it can just unlock a lot of the things that we now find. One, companies are unincentivized to take, like the, the data is too sensitive for them to risk a breach. And two, individuals are too uh, scared to uh, want to let go of or want to give access to. It's so ridiculous. I mean, you know, we both just moved to Puerto Rico and we have medical records and dental records and, you know, optician records back in, you know, our home states. And why do I have to call to have that sent somewhere else? I should be able to just pull that up with my key and send to the new doctor the components that I want them to see. Yeah, that's exactly right. I think that's a great example, which is if you can carry it with you, it's much easier than to decide when and how you disseminate it. And there should be some simple way that you're retaining the key and access to that data at all times, not I'm a bunch of- I am you're the key. key. I'm yeah. carrying it with me now. There are those that would be on the nefarious side that say, oh yeah, we're all for you carrying the key here. Let us put this chip on your body. Yeah. And that <laughs> is that is the shadow, the dark side, the dystopian side of owning your data when you own it yeah. so closely that you actually can be monitored while you're yeah, owning it. Yeah, that's point. Yeah, I mean, I think as is true with any new system, like there's always a there's always some risks, right? And it's not even risk, it's, it's like for every real innovation, there's always some downside that we need to try to mitigate, I think, when we think about it. So, you know, the, the simplest answer here is like education is really important, but you have to find a way to do that that reduces friction. Um, like no one wants to be lectured on how to hold their data or store it. The second is, um, I do think there's a world where you have um, some amount of, of like a data steward uh, role where instead of picking a large company or not even having a choice, um, a lot of individuals are given some opportunity to give or have someone hold custody of it for them that they do trust. And so I think similarly, to, if you think about it in, you know, around DeFi, where we have some people want to hold their key, they use a hardware wallet to hold everything and wear it around their neck, you know, all the time. Other people will choose to use um, a professional custodian where that information sits. And maybe they retain the key, maybe they maybe they don't, but they, they feel that that's a trusted provider. But the other important part here is that they remain in control of it. They have decision-making power in a way that they may not in a bank, and they know exactly what that uh, that money or the, that uh, those tokens are being used for at any given time. And so, 
in the future, I think you can see a similar world or economy really being built an ecosystem around data as well, where you have a choice of, you know, maybe I'm, I really believe I should hold on to it at all times. I'll keep it with me, or I'm giving it to some steward or custodian to uh, protect it. Um, and maybe even advise me on what to do with it. But I think the the real shift here is that I ultimately will have control and choice in that matter, rather than in the existing system where you really don't. You, A, don't know where your information is. It's hard to get a record of where all of it is, even in the world of GDPR. And two, I don't really have a choice. Like, I can't not use Google, right? Like, um, it, it, there aren't alternatives. There are, there are some, right? But it's it adds a lot of friction to my daily life. Um, so those are the things I think we'll see changing in the future. Right on. So I'm looking here, and um, if I go to CoinGecko and take a look, so it looks like there's the there's the OasisProtocol.org, which is their found which is the foundation, yeah. but then Oasis Labs <laughs> is where you guys are, are building the code and, and, and developing all the uh, the new developments. Is that how that works? Yeah, so um, so similarly to a lot of uh, layer one networks, there's a number of teams, right, that are involved um, and uh, that contribute to any network. The, the background for us, I'll give you a little, the history is um, the Oasis network was really conceived um, by uh, our founder, Don Song, and a number of other uh, academics working in the space of combining confidential compute and blockchain technology, so privacy and blockchain. And so the company Oasis Labs originally raised money in 2018 um, with the idea of building out this network, the Oasis network, Oasis protocol. Um, since then, and you know, in build up to the launch, obviously the team became more uh, distributed and also more teams and more community members have been involved. And so now we have you know, over a thousand different uh, developer uh, groups that are working on the network itself. One, the core, one core contributor to that code is Oasis Labs, but we have a number of others too. So we have a, a team, uh, there's a team in China called Second State that's been building out a development environment um, that's pretty unique. We have uh, hundreds of uh, validators running on the network um, as well. Numbers of developers who've done built tooling for the network or block explorers, um, and then a number of DAP developers also. So definitely, the, you know, as is true for a lot of these networks, we've seen just like a real broadening of um, an ecosystem. So, you know, I use we really in the community term rather than uh, just as a representative from labs. So how does this work practically for us, right? You've got this product called Parcel that is <laughs> going to allow people to mint NFTs to represent mm -hmm. data sets. Is this a consumer facing thing or is this going to be, you know, enterprise that's going to come in and use the service? Yeah, so it's primarily enterprise, but maybe to take a step back. So I'll give you just a high level view of how the network is designed. And that will explain, I think, where these products sit. Um, so the network has a fully decentralized consensus layer, and that allows for, you know, a public ledger to be uh, uh, to exist and, and to be updated every block, what's happening on the network, what transactions are happening. Then the way that we run compute or smart contracts, smart contracts are then built in these paratimes, or a compute layer. And so each paratime can have a different development experience altogether. So Parcel, which you just brought up, is one of those experiences. And that's primarily built for, it's a B2B uh, environment. And so it's primarily for um, businesses and developers who want to build products that allow for data 
access control and we found out what we found out is many of them wanted to tokenize that data. And so some of the companies we've worked with on that front include uh, Nebula, Genomics Company, Music Fund, which we talked a little bit about. We're working with an EHR company called Frontita um, that's helping actually refugees um, uh, retain ownership of their data. It's pretty cool. Um, and then a number of others that fall into that category. So the main way as like a and um, as a consumer that you engage with this is really engaging with those products um, as they launch and build. In addition to that, though, we're seeing a number of other things being built in different paradigms. So there's a a private DeFi environment that's being built right now, um, and that'll primarily allow for things like uh, there's a private DEX that's being built so that uh, when you make trades, it'll help prevent front running. Um, and we ultimately will. I think we're seeing a couple. Uh, lending protocols build that are excited mostly because of the under collateralized lending opportunities that uh, privacy can provide. So that's another environment that'll launch uh, next month. And I think that'll be one that a lot of for, for those who are listening who are not developers, I think there'll be a lot of opportunity to engage uh, with with that part of the network too. Um, and then we're seeing we have a Ethereum based environment as well. So we're seeing a lot of of just building on that way, things that are coming over from Ethereum, or generally, you know, gaming app, gaming, DeFi, uh, wallets, a number of things on that side. And if I would say like more traditional NFT marketplaces. Um, and so all of that, I think people can interact with today. If you go to oasiseth.org, that's the best environment to see what's going on there. And I love how you how you guys named um, your company after one of my favorite bands. I love Oasis. They're oh, yeah, I know. Totally. <laughs> yeah. I like your brothers. Uh, crazy. I want to ask a question that because I, as I don't know that some of our listeners maybe know what a paratime is. So when you talk about yeah. the Oasis ETH paratime, you're talking about how it's identical to Ethereum. It has faster throughput, lower gas fees, 99% cheaper. What is the paratime? Yeah. So when you think about maybe to think about it this way. So Anytime you're you're running an application, you're using, um, uh, you know, right now most apps use the cloud. They'll use like AWS. And there's a couple components to that. One is storage, where the, the data that you're running actually is held. But the other is actually like compute, how analysis is run on that data and how actions actually happen. And so a paradigm is an environment where you can do both of those things in a decentralized way. And so that is... Um, run by a separate set of nodes or validators from the consensus layer. And the reason it's set up that way is it helps allow for much more, uh, a much more scalable system than if, if they were all run by the same set of validators. And so what it also does is it allows for a lot of flexibility. So we can have one that's Ethereum based. You can have some that are really decentralized where thousands of nodes are running on it. Or you can have some that are, are permissioned for uh, for enterprise use cases, for example, depending on the need. I just want to say, stop, paratime, because you can't touch us. That's where you're supposed to have the uncomfortable laughter. And that was the yeah, she, she's she's she just staring at me like smirk. she was like, hell? oh my god, that was the worst. What the heard. hell are you talking about? <laughs> calm. So uh, as you guys are, you know, rolling out this program for the Oasis Network, um, you have a grants program with one and a half million dollars in funding. So who can and who should apply for said funding? Yeah, so we're we're open and, and looking for you know a range of different things. I'd say. Um, 
the, the a lot of the bigger ticket uh, grants are for development. And so specifically around DAP development, building out data backed token apps on using Parcel, for example, um, We'd be thrilled to have more folks doing that. Um, but we also have a number of, of grants for non-technical folks too. So particularly around marketing and education, th there's always more that's needed, right? Like for any network, like what I just went through is uh, pretty, it's pretty complex. And so I'm, and all of us who've been involved in it are, you know, we're in the, in the trenches on this day to day. And so it's easy to forget sometimes what, uh, what, what makes sense to folks outside of the company versus not. So having more people on the marketing side to build out education and websites and um, materials that help explain this in uh, normal terms is, is always welcome. So great opportunities there to apply. If you go to oasisprotocol.org, uh, you should be able to just uh, uh, find the, the application there. Well, Ann, thanks for joining us today. The website is oasislabs.com collect, protect, govern, build a more trusted product with the latest in data security and governance technology. You guys go check it out. And, and if people want to write you personally and reach out, which socials are uh, your favorite? Yeah. So Twitter is probably the easiest. It's Annie Fav, A-N-N-I-E-F, like Frank, A-U-V. Um, my DMs are open and I'm always happy to chat with folks there. Um, also on Telegram. Uh, I think it's a father as well. So happy to chat there as well. Um, you can find me in our, uh, in our community telegram and uh, on Twitter uh, most, most hours of the day. I thought it was pronounced far. <laughs> yeah. I mean, when I grew up, I used to tell people I was Brett Favre's niece, but yeah. it's in the last 10 years. I've stopped, I've stopped doing that as much after some of his uh, <laughs> recent uh, uh, news. So. Right, right. And plus he spells it differently. It's a little different, but, you know, it's close enough that you can make the argument that it's it's basically the same thing. I've, we, I've, we don't want to I, argue, I'm though. I'm at throwing a touchdown pass at him. <laughs> no, so that, it's not. That makes it's better. not close enough. Okay, you, you win. You win. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Right, Thank you guys so much. Happy to be here. Thank you, Annie Fove, for coming on the show today and sharing your wisdom and your thoughts with us. Great interview. Really, really a pleasure speaking with her. That is true. You know what we do? Um, I, I enjoy this interview. It's, it's I, I love chatting with smart people who are trying to solve big problems. And and actually, even before the conversation or actually, actually, we interviewed. And then after this, we found out that Apple is now releasing this thing called I think it's called it's called Apple Pie, P-I. Um, but basically what they're doing is they're going to go into your iCloud and into your iMessages and scan your phone for images that are not approved content. I like, always feel like Apple is watching me. Mm -hmm. It's true. They are Apple, Google. Uh, there is coming a time very soon that I am going to get off the uh, iPhone completely. And uh, there's some some new products coming down the pipe. And uh, mm -hmm. Travis, um, part of what I had to do here in Puerto Rico, as you do as well, is set up a new company. And um, in doing so, I am avoiding Google. I have set up a um, uh, email account for my new email address, not on Google and not on any of the major services. And I intend to set up docs and calendar as well, because Google is just watching all of our stuff, they're evil as can be. 
I don't use them for search. I use DuckDuckGo. I don't use their browser, Chrome. I use uh, the Brave browser. And I just want to live a Google-free life. Mm, the de-Googlefication of it's Joel Kahn. It's happening. 50 Curry. Shades of de-Google. <laughs> uh, we got some listener feedback, Travis. And, the, and usually we don't read the, uh, the negative feedback. Uh, but yeah. this one, um, Zach on wrote us and he said just letting you know that i was very disappointed with your episode with gorab seth uh, of mogul with the teaser at the introduction after 43 minutes of listening i never did find out his favorite way to prepare chicken that mm. was something that was promised and um mm. he didn't tell us I, well it's he does it with an air fryer so. you don't know that i'm just saying that i just i just want to make zach feel better so i was trying to de-disappoint him and then you just totally disappointed me. It is the best way to uh, to make your your chicken. Uh, I mean, now you've got this air fryer also, and are you just not digging it? Well, I tell you what, you know what I did. Here's what I've learned with air. If you have an air fryer, you can pretty much cook anything in there. But what I made it made a happy mistake with, with the other day was I I made hamburgers on the grill. And then I decided I want to toast the buns. And so I put the bun on bottom. Then I put the hamburger on it, but the cheese was already melted a little bit. And then I put the bun on top of it and I put it in there for two minutes with like, I don't know, seven, like 375 degrees for like two minutes. And it came out, the top of the bun was completely toasted. The bottom of the bun completely toasted, but inside the bun that was next to the cheese and the meat was so like gooey and warm, like fresh baked. It was maybe one of the best hamburger experience. I had a hamburgasm. It was so good. And nice buns, Trav. <laughs> I just looked here. and We've got a couple more reviews that uh, uh -oh. we have. I'm kind of scared. Uh, scared. Three of them uh, most recently. One of them is a five-star review by M Martini246. Five stars offended. He says, I'm offended when you don't do accents. Great show. Entertaining. Keep it up. Uh, we are very sorry when we do not do accents. We apologize. Most every episode, we try to get at least one or two offensive accents in there. The crew also gave us five stars. Thanks, guys. You're really the best or the worst. Lol. No, seriously, this show and the Nifty are the best podcasts I've seen on crypto. Uh, this is Zach, the guy that might be delivering you some tacos one day in Puerto Rico. It was awesome. I told my girlfriend or soon-to-be wife, which is it your girlfriend or soon? I don't know if he's proposer or not, or soon to be wife that I might be on the podcast and bam, I was thank you and stay bad. She's a fan now. And we're now listening to your show at the same time. Very cool. Uh, and finally, this one came in from little Mikey. Oh, six, three. Oh, I'm wondering if, and this is a one-star review. This is actually, it's a four-star review. Oh, Uncultured. It's so not quite five uncultured i love you guys and i love the podcast however i feel like you both need some culture on the show no <laughs> no shit sherlock especially being that you guys are filming in puerto rico right now we're not filming but that's okay it's quite embarrassing being puerto rican and listening to both of you white guys talk about cultural things and you sound quite idiotic talking about it like puerto rico is not known for burritos that's the mexican culture you wouldn't go to china and ask for sushi if you want to learn about the culture that's surrounding you and be able to talk about things properly like discussing cookies bring someone on that's not just white haha <laughs> again i love the show but if you're going to be out in pr bring some culture on the show maybe you'll expand your following some more creep keep up the great work fellas so well he gave us four stars that i don't know that's, that qualifies as great work you probably it's like good work it's it's good it's like a, that's like an 80 percent on your test right that's like almost almost a c nobody promised culture here 
Nobody. Yeah, we did not. We did not say this was the good culture crypto podcast. No, we. we in and fact, plus, like, how in the hell do we know about culture yet? Here, we've been here just a few months. Well, and we're Joel really... doesn't even get out of his compound very often. <laughs> <laughs> well, I tried to get out yesterday. Actually, I was supposed to uh, go to the dentist to finally have this tooth yanked, and guess what? Went to the car, and the battery was dead. So I had oh, to the call. The car said no. I had to call AAA, had the car towed to Pep Boys here in Umacao, and they were great. Like the dude there, Giovanni is the man at the Pep Boys in Umacao. He like he got me in right away, even though they had a bunch of people waiting, checked out the battery, replaced it. I paid and I was on my way. You were on your way. It was just a battery issue, huh? Yeah, because I needed a new battery in my uh, mm. my use. Yeah, that's so good. I'm so glad we're talking about Puerto Rican culture now. Yeah. <laughs> I feel so refined and classy at this moment. I mean, pet boys, baby. Cookie. Huh. Oh, oh, by the way, uh, we're getting a Chick-fil-A in Umacao. No, you're not. Are or, you really? Nope. Yep. For real. It's going to be oh. right over here by the Walmart. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'll never eat there because the lines are going to be ridiculous. It's going to be crazy. You know, Joel, speaking of culture, <laughs> uh, I've noticed this as I've been here for Puerto Rico for several, several months now that um they love chicken here uh, or pollo as they call it there's a kentucky fried pollo there's popeye's pollo there's churches churches pollo and now we're having pollo filet yeah coming up in there. Yeah, i'm gonna open a restaurant is that, enough, called... is that enough damn classy ass culture for you I'm going to even have a burger. Oh, you, well, they have the, the pinchos that you really like. It's chicken on I a love, stick. I love the hell out of pinchos. If you don't know what a pincho is, you just don't have enough culture. <laughs> pinchos hey. are pinchos. Pinchos are awesome. The only thing that we are promising you from this show is that we and you will stay back. The Bad Crypto Podcast is a production of Bad Crypto, LLC. The content of the show, the videos, and the website is provided for educational, informational, and entertainment purposes only. It's not intended to be and does not constitute financial, investment, or trading advice of any kind. You shouldn't make any decisions as to finances, investing, trading, or anything else based on this information without undertaking independent due diligence and consultation with a professional financial advisor. Please understand that the trading of Bitcoins and alternative cryptocurrencies have potential risks involved. Anyone wishing to invest in any of the currencies or tokens mentioned on this podcast should first seek their own independent professional financial advisor. We have more culture than we can handle. Don't pinch on me. So very, not very nice. bad. Are you trying to go as deep as you so, can with your voice? So how, bad. how low can you so go? It's going to go. Our voices are going to go so deep culture. that only horses are going to be able to hear us. Horticulture. <laughs> Stay back. <laughs>